Hi, my name is Danielle Pinedes. I'm Vice President and Associate General Counsel at NCTA, the Internet and Television Association. On the one hand, I think we know a lot about demand for Wi-Fi, but on the other, I think the pandemic is really remaking some of these projections in real time and pushing them upwards. I'm Catherine Speglia, and this is Well Technically, the tech podcast where women do the explaining. So hi, Danielle. Thank you for being on the show. Hi. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Today's conversation is mainly about wireless spectrum policy, particularly 5.9 and 6 gigahertz. But first, Danielle, what's an example of a time in which being a woman has empowered you? That's an excellent question. And, you know, there, there are a lot of times when I felt empowered as a woman in this profession that in some ways is really sort of a, a doubly man's world, law and then spectrum and wireless matters as well. And, you know, really it's often, I think, when another woman makes an effort to recognize my work or make sure I'm heard. Um, and I, I think that's something we should all really try to pay forward. Um, so for example, a senior woman I worked with, uh, from outside my organization took the time to contact my boss and notice how well prepared I had been for a meeting. And that really made a difference, um, to me. And I think, you know, it was great for my boss to hear that as well. Um, there was also another notable time when, uh, a colleague interrupted me during a meeting and the senior woman who was running things. Uh, came back to me after and said, would you like to finish your point? Um, and, uh, you know, those kinds of things, I, again, I think, I think really make a difference. I also recently spoke on an all-woman panel on what to expect in the next administration on wireless policy. Um, and that shouldn't be notable, but still is. Uh, I noticed, and I'm sure others did too. And so, you know, again, these are probably small things for the, the women involved, the men involved too, in planning the panel. But um, and, and who made those things happen, but it made a difference to me. And now I'm on the lookout for sort of small ways to make sure other women are heard and, and noticed. Very cool. About that panel, was it advertised as a women's only panel or did it happen to be a women's only panel? It, it was not advertised as a women's only panel. Happened to be so, um, which again, I thought was a, was a particularly notable thing in a time when, it, when an all-man panel wouldn't necessarily be, be noticed or notable. Yeah, definitely. That That's very cool. That's almost something I struggled with with this podcast because I wanted to make something that highlighted women in tech, but I wanted it to be for everyone. I wanted it to just have general solid information and not be this thing that's like by women, for women. So it's, it's nice to see that there are things that just happen to have women in them. That's right. Lately, you've had your eye on the 5.9 and 6 gigahertz band specifically. So I want to focus on those two today, as I mentioned earlier. Let's start with 5.9. I know that there was some conflict around the FCC's decision to reallocate some of that to unlicensed Wi-Fi use. Some members of the House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure pushed back on this. What was at the heart of this conflict and how did it all kind of shake out ultimately? Yeah, sure. So I, I think it's probably most important to recognize the FCC's good work here. And at a time when it's hard to reach consensus decisions, the FCC uh, supported both 5.9 and 6 gigahertz in a bipartisan way. 
And opening both of these bands, I know we'll talk about six a little bit later, but opening both these bands creates a home for the next generation of Wi-Fi for American consumers at exactly the moment when we all need uh, more Wi-Fi resources. So these are, I think both 5.9 and 6 are just exceptionally important decisions made in a bipartisan way based on really thorough and careful engineering. And although the rules ended up you know, more, um, more restrictive than we'd hoped, I think this is an achievement that really should be, should be recognized. So uh, specifically in answer to your question on 5.9, uh, I think a little bit of history will help put the FCC's decision in context. And in 1999, the FCC did something really unusual in this band. It reserved the band, the 5.9 band, for a single technology called Dedicated Short Range Communications, or DSRC. And the DSRC companies got the band for free. So without an auction, like we typically do for exclusive use spectrum for LTE or 5G, or a requirement to share with other users like Wi-Fi. And this DSRC te technology was supposed to allow cars to use specialized radios to communicate with one another and with roadside infrastructure. And DSRC proponents made promises about safety and non-safety applications to the FCC in order to get this great deal. But after 20 years, what the FCC recognized was the technology just hadn't, hadn't gotten beyond government subsidized pilot projects. And so it was time for something new. Um, at the same time, over those same, that same 20 year period since 1999, Wi-Fi use just exploded. It went from an experiment in spectrum to a really core communications technology that we, we all rely on in our homes and our businesses and hospitals and factories and airports um, and you know, here in the US and, and worldwide. So, I think that's, that's certainly true for me more now than ever. I think that's true for others too, as again, we're working and learning and seeing doctors and ordering groceries from home. Um, you know, just to put Wi-Fi use in context, more than half of um, US internet traffic transits a Wi-Fi network. Um, and it's certainly how most cable broadband subscribers experience the internet, speaking from an NCTA perspective. Um, and Wi-Fi is also critical to our economy. There's a recent study that found that, that unlicensed technologies like Wi-Fi contribute almost a trillion dollars to the U.S. economy annually um, starting this year in 2021. And they forecast that th that contribution will be like $1.6 trillion by 2025. So we're talking big numbers here in terms of, of the importance of Wi-Fi. Um, so, you know, where are we now? I think in terms of the 5.9 band, the success produced, the success of Wi-Fi over that period uh, produced huge demand for Wi-Fi and Wi-Fi innovators in response created uh, faster, lower latency, next-gen Wi-Fi technologies, and they depend on access to wider channels and more mid-band spectrum. So the FCC recognized this opportunity and that the 5.9 band was really underutilized because of the failure of DSRC. And they engineered this great compromise that would provide more spectrum for both Wi-Fi and next generation intelligent transportation technologies in the band. So what it did was open the lower 45 megahertz of the band for Wi-Fi use um, for indoor unlicensed, and then updated the regulations to start a transition from this old DSRC, DSRC technology to cellular V to X or CV to X in the upper 30 megahertz of the band. So they sort of split the baby. Um, and the FCC also asked questions um, in a further notice about how it can enable outdoor Wi-Fi use going forward. So that's still under consideration. 
Um, I think the heart of this debate is really that DSRC proponents had sort of unfettered access to the span for more than 20 years. They convinced the government to put millions of taxpayer dollars into subsidizing the technology, but still didn't make this work as from a market perspective and, and the market sort of passed DSRC by. So, um, you know, because of these promises that DSRC proponents made, you know, people spent years, careers on this technology and it's really hard to pivot to something new. Um, but the FCC's decision was, I think, really the only reasonable way forward. It's gonna create a home for the next generation of Wi-Fi but also allow the band to be used for CV to X. So an automotive safety technology that has a, a chance at market success from here on out. So both the auto industry, broadband providers, we all have clarity now about what's gonna happen with this band and CV to X has the spectrum available to facilitate safety technologies, crash avoidance and other connected vehicle type applications. Okay, I really appreciate that overview of, of the situation. That was very helpful. And I, I know you started to get a little bit into how valuable Wi-Fi is currently and will continue to be. And I will ask you some more questions about some projections about Wi-Fi demand. But first, let's talk a little bit about the six gigahertz band, which as you mentioned, was also recently opened up for unlicensed Wi-Fi use. Can you talk to me more about this development and how it will impact the Wi-Fi landscape in the U.S.? Absolutely. We're really excited about this one. The FCC's six gigahertz band decision was really a watershed moment for Wi-Fi in the U.S. And that move by the FCC has really started a movement across the world. And the FCC opened up 1200 megahertz, so a lot of spectrum for sharing with Wi-Fi um, under technical rules that will protect existing users of the bands designed for shared access. In the initial rules, the FCC established two different classes of, of devices. So there's low power indoor devices that can operate throughout all those 1200 megahertz, but only inside buildings and at significantly lower power levels than the Wi-Fi that we know today. Um, the FCC also created a standard power class of devices. They can operate indoors or outdoors um, and at higher power levels, but have to communicate with an automated frequency coordinator to avoid operating on the same channels as fixed microwave links that share the band. Um, so I think for, for our purposes, it's the amount of spectrum that we're talking about that's really transformative. Before the six gigahertz decision, the only way network operators could, could even access one 160 megahertz next generation Wi-Fi channel um, was under favorable technical rules was to sort of cobble together spectrum from two different parts of the five gigahertz band, two 80 megahertz channels. And that was still just one 160 megahertz channel. So the six gigahertz decision opens up seven contiguous 160 megahertz channels. Um, so that's really important for Wi-Fi consumers. We'll see these wide channels used more often, I think. It'll improve throughput and capacity on our Wi-Fi networks and enable new and exciting high bandwidth applications like automated and virtual reality in ways we haven't seen before. Um, but just like with 5.9, I think there's more to do here too. On 5.9, the question is, do we do outdoor use? Here, the FCC still has an open rulemaking on some parts of, um, of six gigahertz, some issues that have the ability, I think, um, to allow consumers to get the most out of this band. I think most importantly for us, it's asked whether it can raise the power limits for those low power indoor devices um, to something that looks more like the Wi-Fi that consumers have come to expect in, in other, in other uh, Wi-Fi bands. Um, it's also asked about a third class of very low power devices and, and some other issues too. So that, despite these last issues to, to resolve, I think we're, we're very excited about the possibilities for six gigahertz and, and what it will mean for Wi-Fi customers down the road. 
Excellent. And the demand for Wi-Fi is only increasing, and it seems like the FCC is really responding to that, which is great. Are there any projections you can share with me about Wi-Fi demand and what to expect from that over the next few years? On the one hand, I think we know a lot about demand for Wi-Fi, but on the other, I think the pandemic is really remaking some of these projections in real time and pushing them upwards. So uh, I'll, I'll explain a little bit. I think mobile, mobile data traffic, um, we know, is expected to more than double by 2022 compared to April 2020. And as much as 59% of mobile data traffic will be offloaded to Wi-Fi by 2022. And some of those projections for offload percentage are even higher when you're talking about 5G specific traffic. So I think I've seen more than like, more like 70% of offload uh, for 5G. So in other words, Wi-Fi is really critical for licensed 5G too. Mobile network operators need unlicensed spectrum as part of the solution in order to deliver on the speed and capacity and latency, the latency promises of, of 5G. So it'll continue to be really important I, I think, though, that it's important to recall it, but most of these statistics are from before the pandemic. And so, like I said, you know, we're seeing increases, I think, in, in demand. Um, there's a study indicating that Wi-Fi activity increased and stabilized at about 80% higher than in pre-pandemic conditions, which, again, isn't really surprising given how much we're all working and video conferencing and remote learning and, and doing everything else from our home offices. And that's, I think, also just kind of a piece of the story. I think Wi-Fi contributes to digital resilience in a variety of ways. Again, from the same study, sort of highlighting a variety of, of areas in which Wi-Fi is really important um, to our economy. Um, you know, it's free Wi-Fi connection services that are offered by ISPs and libraries and community centers that help connect people. Um, it's, you know, folks staying at home and being on their Wi-Fi networks instead of out and about on their, their mobile data plans, right, it can save consumers money too. Um, I think expansion of broadband coverage to rural areas is another one. We think of Wi-Fi more as kind of a, a last meter technology to get from your router to your laptop, but I think it's also these, these unlicensed spectrum bands that power Wi-Fi are also used for fixed wireless access that can bring broadband connectivity uh, affordably to, to more rural and remote areas. And then there's things like IoT and robotics and warehouse management and, and the kinds of things where, you know, if you want to see fewer people in a factory, you want to automate processes, keep everybody safe, push through products. Like I think those technologies are important in the, you know, not just in our homes and in our offices where we think about Wi-Fi, but also in those kind of factory and, and manufacturing settings. All right, my last question for you is looking to the future. What are the next license spectrum bands of interest on the horizon? Sure, yeah, happy to answer it. And I want to make sure your, your listeners are thinking about both unlicensed and licensed because um, it's, I think, from a spectrum policy perspective, it's important for the United States to have a balanced spectrum policy, looking at exclusive licensed spectrum as well as the unlicensed spectrum bands that power Wi-Fi and IoT and some of the things we've been talking about. Um, you know, from a, an NCTA member perspective, um, cable operators are, are offering not just Wi-Fi services as part of broadband connections, but also offering mobile virtual network operator services too, and are increasingly sort of participating in the licensed wireless marketplace as well. So I'm glad you asked about licensed spectrum bands too, because it's an important part of our story and kind of where the cable industry is headed. Um, NCTA's members acquired more than 2,000 licenses in the, in the um, 3.5 gigahertz citizens broadband radio service auction that took place last year um, and spent over a billion dollars to do that. So 
Um, again, it's an exciting area. And as far as, um, to get to your real question, as far as the licensed bands that are kind of next up on the horizon, um, the FCC is poised to act on the 3.45 gigahertz band, so right below the Citizens Broadband Radio Service, um, to take next steps on that here at their March meeting on March 17th. And while you know we, we would like to see some changes to the draft order that's been put out, including things like smaller license areas and lower power levels, rules that are more akin to the band right next door, um, it's been such a success, I think, for, for the cable industry and, and for many others who've been able to access spectrum in that band that, um, in ways that they couldn't before. Um, but I think one, one potential success story out of this is how quickly the interagency process worked to make that band available. Um, I think so often with the next licensed or unlicensed spectrum bands on the horizon, because there's no more greenfield spectrum available, you're looking at what do you do with the other users who are there? And for many of the bands for licensed use, um, the, the primary user there is the federal government. So what do you do to clear the band of federal government users? How do you do that? How do you compensate them? Or how do you enable sharing with the government users so that they can stay in place? Um, so I think this 3.45 band, one thing again that happened um, fairly quickly was figuring out, you know, through the interagency process, how those federal government users were going to be relocated, in some cases share still with users in the band, um, and hope to see that kind of quick action on the next round of midband spectrum that's going to be critical for 5G and for all next generation wireless services. I think next up after this 3.45 item that's on the commission's agenda for March, I think there's a lot of interest in industry among the on the 3.1 to 3.45 gigahertz band, which is kind of the next chunk down. Um, we've heard the, the federal government through NTIA say that that's, that's going to be more challenging given the government users who are there, but um, something that we look forward to continuing to work with everybody on to try to make the best, most efficient use um, uh, of that spectrum for, for everybody. Danielle, this is very helpful because uh, I don't always have the opportunity to really dig into spectrum policy. So I really appreciate you explaining all of this to me. And I also realized that you mentioned the date of March 17th, and this is totally going to air after that. So to my <laughs> listeners, full disclosure, I do not record and upload these on the same day. <laughs> so Danielle, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Thanks again for having me. Well, Technically is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com. Today's show was produced and edited by me, Catherine Speglia.